0: We are going to count on God the Spirit to um, do His promised work of guiding us in New Testament truth as we study the things that are really for us. New Testament theology. This is all about New Testament theology. We are New Testament grace believers. (coughs) And so um, we are studying grace communication with God, grace communication for the New Testament believer, and tonight we will be looking at a subject we we indicated earlier that there are probably eight terms that need to be analyzed in this study and we've we've looked at four of them we will look at a fifth one tonight we were prepared for this last week, but uh, there were some other pressing issues that need to be cleared up on the issue of what confession is and what actually constitutes sin and how it distinguishes from unrighteousness in the life of the New Testament saint. And uh, we felt it good that we spend the extra time on that last week and we did so. So tonight <clears throat> we're going to be looking at <sighs> vows, a vow, and we will analyze a passage of Scripture that's instructive for us. The word we look at in both the noun and the verb forms occurs minimally in Scripture. And two occasions, uh, uh, three places where the verb occurs, two of which uh, need to be qualified. We need to say some qualifying things about them. And the third one we'll spend some time on tonight, hopefully Uh, answer some questions for you there are questions that arise and it's a meaty passage of scripture so let's open with a word of prayer father god thank you for the opportunity that is ours to look into your word we thank you that god the spirit provided for us members of the body of christ to do what we need done and that is to teach us to teach us the things that need to be taught, need to be caught by us. And so, <clears throat> God the Spirit is the one mentioned in Scripture who will, uh, who is positioned and conditioned, prepared, and very consummately able to teach us the deep things of God. So, we would that that would happen tonight. Might there be no unnecessary distractions of any kind that would uh, take our minds, divert our minds from the things that, the concepts that need to be uh, considered tonight. Thank you. Amen. (coughs) Grace communication with God. Um, We've talked about thanksgiving. We've talked about praise. We've talked about worship communication. We've talked about confession. Confession is... (laughs) You're not angry at me, are you? <laughs> we just got somebody else that got on the bus. Good for you. And by the way, belated happy birthday. And I, I was a little bit jealous that you got ice cream and all I got was Jello and and orthopedic socks. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, do you feel older? You don't look older. You look younger. Okay, here we go. All right, confession, and we said last week that confession is the believer's communication with the Father in which he says the same thing that the Father does about acts of sin. And we gave you texts that will be very helpful to you, should be very helpful to you, to distinguish between an act of sin outside the body, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, for the New Testament saint, there is no act of sin that does not involve activity outside the body so what happens in your mind i mean th- that's the obvious go to question well, well i mean you don't know what's going on in my mind. yeah i kind of get i kind of bet i do because i'm i'm suited up and on the floor with you i mean i i've i've been where you've been a lot of places you've been you didn't know i was there maybe i was there before you were i don't know but what goes on in the mind of a saint if we don't call it technically An act of sin. In the New Testament, we have plenty of information, supportive text, to distinguish that as unrighteousness. a good term. That is, here's the main correction we want to make. Let's use the term unrighteousness as the overarching, broad term for everything that God views as not right. Attikia. The word for righteous with an alpha primitive. No righteousness. What is righteousness? It is objective rightness, plainly and simply. And that's what God is. Unrighteousness, it ain't right. And it's, I mean, it's either it's either he is or he ain't. You know? If it's unrighteous, it's unrighteous. Let's call the overarching, let's use the overarching term unrighteous for those things that displease God. Even before they culminated in activity. Now, our pastor went <laughs> back up and went through. So, I mean, we've kind of, we're going to visit this neighborhood again because it needs to be, the clarification needs to be out there so that people catch it at their own speed. Because what are we doing? We're really kind of correcting. In this case, we might be better off if everybody that got saved had no Christian background. If everybody that came to get instructed had no background in Scripture, we wouldn't have to correct things that have been improperly taught. I don't mean to be mean-spirited when I say that. I, I needed to be corrected on this issue. Now, <clears throat> lust, temptation, sin. Burning strong desire. Lust. It is not by itself unrighteous, but if you own it, when you... Take it to yourself, make it your own, his very own lust. James says, now you've kind of smiled and said, I believe I'll have some of that, put that in my pocket, I'll open it up when I get out to the car or whatever, make my plans then. Look out. The mind is playing fast and loose with unrighteousness. You're walking close to the edge. And when you have approved it, made it your own now it begins to be unrighteous. Now, the sin may never culminate. But you're in, you're in serious... You, you are not in a good condition to try to serve the Lord as a believer priest. You need some cleansing. First of all, stop that unrighteousness. Correct it. Interestingly enough, Scripture does not anywhere tell us to confess the unrighteousness. But here's what it does say. Well, God knows it anyway. Right? He wants you to own the act of sin. In other words, let's make sure we are absolutely high noon, crystal clear daylight about the sin. When you have not done anything about the unrighteousness and it morphs into temptation, now all you need is an opportunity. Your crime waiting to happen. You just need an opportunity. Now the Lord may head that off too, blesses. Bless him. I'll start to say, bless his heart. Bless him for that. You still got an unrighteousness issue. You need to take care of. You need to fix that up. Stop it. Stop the unrighteous thought patterns that are going to lead to a dangerous situation, disposition with your fellowship. Lust, strong desire, temptation, testing. Strength or weakness to see what your resolution is going to be. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able will also with temptation provide the way to escape, the specific escape route that you may be able to bear. There's a remedy for every single temptation you would face. And by the way, your pastors made a point of this. I'm not going to say ad nauseum, but ad infinitum. That's like unto infinity, to infinity and beyond. There's nothing new under the sun. He didn't make that up. He read that somewhere. Some wise guy said that a couple of millennia. Nothing new under the sun. Your temptations, they may wear different clothes, they may wear a different mask, they may drive a different car, but guess what? It's not brand new. There is a remedy for it. there's a grace remedy for it. And recognizing whether it issued from the world system, the flesh, wherein the sin raises its ugly head, the sin nature, or your adversary, the devil. There's a real devil. (laughs) He knows if you don't, you best know it. And dealing with it according to what its nature is, where it came from, and the pastor is going to be already kind of cracked the door on some of those things relative to the maturing saint. So you stick around when I'm done here at 8 o'clock thereabouts and he's going to be teaching on the maturing saint. Okay. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse the unrighteousness, now you're fit to serve as a priest again. And for the saint, this is a fellowship issue. This is not a salvation on-again, off-again thing. You know that by now. You've been well taught. Okay, confession. This is in your notes. It was the fourth word. We dealt with it last week and a week previously. We looked at a a passage that really can be a problem text on the issue of what is sin and what is unrighteousness. We went to a passage in Matthew, and those are a matter of, of the notes. Okay, so tonight... We are going to be dealing with the issue of vows. What is a vow? Well, English word, it's a promise, right? Uh, With some degree of exactitude. I don't know if you ever use that word. Jeanette, you've been talking about longer longer than most of us have. Do you use the word vow? Not really. Do you say promise? Sometimes, Okay, that's a thing, But vow, oh boy, that must be a really, really, really serious promise. Darlene, how about you? Do you use the word promise, probably? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Promise, not vow. <laughs> you started taking a pop. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Do I don't use the word vow. Unless I really want to impress somebody, I as suppose as I have used the word vow. Have I, Cindy? Have I used the word vow? Not- some years ago. Maybe some years ago. Oh, Mary. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. oh. How many years, to be precise? Real quick. I don't know. Forty-five going on forty-six. There. Well, you've been saying that for years. <laughs> <laughs> what? it's forty-five going on forty-six. No, I haven't. Forty-five, give or take. We've been married a long time. Are you? You're not sick of me yet, are you? You're Not going anywhere. You tell okay. Me, I'll tell you not going anywhere. You haven't got any money, right? <laughs> All right. Tonight we will deal with a few passages in the New Testament. There aren't that many in the New Testament, that are instructive on the issue of vow. To be precise, the noun, the verb form occurs three times. It occurs once in Acts chapter 18, it occurs once in Acts 28, and it occurs again in James chapter 5. James chapter 5 is meaty. Uh, it's going to take all the time we got left to get through the James chapter 5 passage. And I will put some additional notes on the website um, when we're done here. I didn't have time to... I don't know exactly how much detail I was going to get into here, and I didn't do it before we got here, but I will make sure they're up on the website. I will also put some notes on distinguishing an act of sin from unrighteousness, even in the Old Testament, where it may not be quite so easy for some of us. But our buddy Don, one of our colleagues here, who's an Old Testament nerd, I mean, he, I said, Don, he said, it's you know, there's some, pa-. I said, hey, give me a list of them, send it to me by email. Sure enough, he did. And uh, I, will put, I went over them, and I agree with them in all cases. not that elusive. Interesting. And uh, so, we'll put some additional notes on the website. You look for it. Okay. Vow. Now, we are talking about grace communication with God. Some of the texts we could look at, we will not. The noun occurs... I said the verb. I mean the noun. Wait a minute. The noun occurs... Three let's see am I got that backwards the noun occurs three times okay I've got some verbs listed up here under the noun the noun occurs three times the verb occurs seven times the verb I'm not going I'm not going to get into detail on the verbs we'll deal with one of them when we get down to James five sixteen because we're going to look at James five thirteen through 20. <clears throat> but the three cases, the noun occurs. We'll look at them quickly. Acts 18, 18. First of all, let's, let's go back. Let's not get carp for the horse. Let's go back to, to A, and this would be probably the end of page 16 in the note packet that we handed out. Okay? Acts 18.18. 18. First of all, I'm sorry. The definition. Let's use this for a definition. As concerns the New Testament saints' communication with the Father in prayer. And really the broader term probably is grace communication because prayer is a lesser facet of that. And we've already proven that from several texts. Here's the definition that will be a good working definition. Vowel communication, grace communication, constituted by a vow, V-O-W, is the affirmation of a promise to the Father to accomplish something that the Holy Spirit prompts the heart to do. Wow, we reached for that. We covered a lot of bases. Well, not really. We don't have to get too cute with that. If you are in the will of God, if you're doing the will of God, you're being led by the Spirit anyway. Right, you would, you want to know the will of God so that you might comport your life according to the will of God. And it's not that difficult in most cases. There are some cases that, wherein Scripture is not explicit, and you need some little extra, you know, nudging. Can the Spirit give me peace about this course of action among the various alternatives, all of which seem to be safe and healthy and good judgment? Which one do I have peace about? That kind of comes with practice. But it's very readily available to the New Testament saint. A vow is communication of an affirmation, a promise to the Father to accomplish something that the Holy Spirit prompts a heart to do. You feel led to say, you know what, I I want you to know that I'm going to do this. Lord willing, then the creek don't rise. And if the Lord's willing, the creek won't rise. <laughs> Most of us have been around long enough in hurricane territory to know that. And I've been in typhoon territory And a kind of similar axiom. <clears throat> Telling God you're going to do something. Now, witness its use in the New Testament. It apparently does not have a central role in grace communication with the Father. The three cases where the noun occurs, two of them are suspect. Okay? We'll look at those. But it is an affirmation of a promise to the Father to accomplish something that the Holy Spirit prompts the heart to do. The Jews, very familiar with vows. There were a number of Jewish vows. There's a whole... Old Testament theology concerning vows, we're not going to go there. We are grace believers. We're after law. We're not bound by Jewish ceremony. Ceremonial law, we're not law didn't apply to Gentiles anyway. But the Jews were not to swear by things. Swear not either by heaven or earth. Don't swear by the millennial kingdom. Matthew five thirty-three. Bye cracky. Joyce? er uh, Joyce. Is she okay by the way? Yeah. She riding her on the grandkids? Jeanette, did you ever hear your did you ever say bye cracky? Uh, did you ever say bye cracky? Anybody ever say anybody ever heard your grandparents say that? Come on. I'm not that old. Bye cracky. Maybe, maybe you know we live in a different part of the country. That, you know. What do you mean by that? <laughs> Okay. All right. In Illinois, farm country, they said buy a cracky sometimes. Now people from Illinois listen to me and say, where did that yeah there was a by cracky. <laughs> As such and such is with this same certainty. What certainty can you bring to a condition? How about you? What certainty can you bring to a condition? And if it's as the Lord is, you ain't got any business doing that anyway. He's well able to provide his own surety for any condition. And by the way, you may not know it. You need to know what his will is for your life, but you may not know what his will is for her life. You'll be messing in somebody else's territory. And by the way, what's wrong with just letting your yay be yay and your nay be nay? I'm going to do this thing. I'm fixing to do this thing. You have a vow in Acts chapter 18. Let's look at it quickly. Acts chapter 18 And I don't know exactly where to pick this up. I'm mindful of the time here. We've got to get through the James passage. But in Acts chapter 18, Luke records. Paul, after this, let's see. Um, There's a... There's a big upset uh, previous to this. And uh, Paul gets... uh, Let's see, teach some Word of God. Where do I want to pick this up? Paul's on the carpet. Acts 18, 18. You can set the context. Paul, after this, tarried there yet a good while, um, and then took his leave of the brethren, sailed thence unto Syria. This is verse 18 of Acts 18. And with him Priscilla and Aquila, leaving shorn his head, in saying, having shorn his head in Sancria, for he had a vow. He appear and, and the the verb form here it's a it's an imperfect active. Apparently that's continuous action in present in uh, past time. He had this vow. And he still had it. He was maintaining this vow. Doesn't say what it was. Does not call it a Jewish vow. It may have been. Paul's Jewish background, but it doesn't say it was. Nobody says, uh, there's nothing in scripture to tell us who, sh- who shaved his head. There's speculation it might have been Aquila, might have been Priscilla, might have been persuaded by Priscilla, but not Aquila, or vice versa. But when all the dust settles, it's all speculation. We don't know. But Paul took a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they desired him to tarry longer... (sighs) Kevin, I've been looking at Dialegomai, and I'm fascinated about where it's taken me. His reasoning in the synagogue was consistently Dialegomai. Now, it's logical, but I see a connection. I see a persuasive appeal to the emotions. He's doing Diolegami when he's preaching and Eutychus fell out the third loft. It's Diolegami. Um, and I don't think Paul should have taken this vow personally. I'm going to let you do your own study with that. I'm not going to be too dogmatic about it. I know what, how Kevin feels on this and I suspect how he's taught about this. You do not see anywhere in the context that there was a wholesome outcome for this. You really don't see it explained anywhere that I can see. He came to Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to sweep through some things and summarize. Paul seems compelled to argue a reason to, to debate with The Jews. He wants to, he apparently wants to convince them of the logic of New Testament theology. And I'm going to be very gentle with this. It's not our purpose tonight to make this the central teaching, but I'm going to gently suggest to you that by the time this is done, his method is suspect. I conclude that his method is suspect. He spent a lot of time trying to persuade them and I think in at least some cases it's clear from the context and the language that, that Luke uses in uh, the book of Acts that some of it was too carefully targeted to their. the emotional content of his appeal was too strong. Now listen, Paul was no slouch when it came to emotional appeal. He was very good. I mean, he was highly skilled with his rhetoric, his oratory. He was not a bad speaker. But there are several cases in Scripture where he fell down, so to speak, doing this. And there's a pattern here of him trying to reason logically New Testament Christianity to Jewish converts. Now listen, how many of you are not at least generally familiar with the fact That if New Testament theology, the pastor made a reference to the mysteries in the membership class, I think it was last week, or maybe even last Monday night. New Testament truth contained in mysteries. It cannot be ascertained with logical reckoning. Why? The deep things of God, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, those contained in mysteries are going to escape the debater's and he went through a sequence where the rhetorical question, where is the debater of the age? If they had got this stuff, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who knoweth the spirit the, the who, who who makes the man cognitively self-aware? The spirit that is in him? That's around 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. By the same token, who would teach the deep things of God? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God must convince the mind of reality of which truth is the basis. Truth is the basis of the reality. The Spirit of God must convince the mind. That's a supernatural thing. You may think you've got a good argument, and I'm telling you, I'm pretty good on my best days. I'm glad I don't have to be the one to. Oh my word. There's not a preacher with the salt that hadn't felt pretty good when he's preaching good. But if something's gonna happen that pleases God, God the Spirit has to be a part of it. And sometimes you need to just get out of the way. Or if only I could have been more persuasive. Did you leave room for God the Spirit to Or were you blocking him out with your rhetoric and your drama, your flair for the dramatic? I think the vow, and I'll let you, I'm going to skip here because I'm watching the clock, but um, I think Paul was ill-advised to take that vow. And I think it probably is God ordained that we don't know a whole lot about it. Now, in Acts chapter 21, in Acts chapter 21, we have another occasion where Paul was persuaded by four, he was persuaded by his colleagues that there were four Jewish converts. I'll let you read the context. I have to get to James 5. But Paul is persuaded. He is trying to teach New Testament theology. I don't know if he's settled on a method yet. You take responsibility for your own study. Read this carefully. See what God is doing. I mean, this is not just total rebellion. But he's... Can you blame the guy? He's probably had some pretty good days with his oratory. I mean young people hanging on his every word thought, thought he was the smartest guy they ever heard. four Jewish converts had taken a vow and they wanted to, they wanted Paul to convince us that you are not teaching against Moses now listen, Properly understood, New Testament theology does not contravene Moses. But the fact of the matter is, the law is not New Testament theology. It has been supplanted in the program of God. The law, as our pastor said, not either last time, I think it was Sunday, right? And I had talked to Troy Troy about that last time I talked to him. 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is what the law still does. It shows his sin to the unbeliever. Doesn't tell him how to fix it. The law is not the gospel. And it should not be consulted by believers to, oh, I figure out what's wrong by looking at the law. No, the law is for the unrighteous to see what they're doing. It's an indictment. It's good if a righteous man uses it correctly. But you don't have to go to the law to see what sin is. You've got Christ written on your heart when you were regenerated, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You've got a basis for a change of mind. You've got a different kind of heart. You have something no old, uh, stealing the preacher's thunder here. You have something no other saint has had. You have a newness, a renewedness of mind that is consistent with a new heart. It is the happy consequence of New Testament Titus 3 regeneration. You've got the Spirit of God in you. You've got all three persons of the Godhead. You have to go to the Mosaic law to find out what sin is, what unrighteousness is. Anyway, Paul, listen. Let's, let's, and this is Acts 21, you read it. Let's keep these guys happy because they are really riled up. They are wrapped around the axle. Could you just kind of, could you just... Calm him down by taking this vow. You don't look that bad in a hair in a crew cut anyway. I mean, just so took a vow. I don't know, I can't remember whether he shaved his head or not, but he took a vow with him. Caused him a lot of problems later on. Caused him problems later on. <clears throat> and in the notes, we have said to you that uh, he was out of fellowship. He was in all likelihood out of fellowship with God when he took that vow. Acts 18 and Acts 21. I am not afraid to say that. I think he was not Spirit-led when he he took the vow in Acts 18. I do not think he was Spirit-led when he took the vow in Acts 21. In either case. What is the other text? The other text is in James chapter 5. Now, um, Let's jump down to, I've got an exegetical analysis here that I intended to hand out. It's fairly technical. I think what I'm going to do is to translate James 5, verses 13 through 20. Put that on the internet because the technical analysis is probably going to, in some cases, annoy you, in some cases, just bog you down. But let's read through it. James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. We're going, to just, we're going to let the explanation of the, the incidence of the vow in Acts 18, the incidence of the vow in Acts 21 speak for themselves. We've dealt with them. You look at them. I don't think it's going to be that elusive to you. What about the remaining text where you see vow used? James chapter 5 verses 13 through 20. I'm going to read it through and then I'm into King James. Then I'm going to go back and make some comments which I hope will, will uh, identify some issues and clarify them for you. James chapter 5 verses 13 through 20. Is any among you afflicted? What does afflicted mean? Just give me a real quick, uh, Jill, real quick. You knew I was going to call on you. What, what do you think afflicted means? You're not, you're not being tested here, but what do you think afflicted means? Do you have an idea? Maybe sick, right? Cindy, sick? Huh? Hurting. Hurting. Yeah, okay. Not bad. We're going to come back and look at this. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. What's the word for pray there? Well, we'll find out. Is any married? Do we use that term? I'm married, but am I married? Well, I mean, you're having a good time. This is not a bad hair day. It's a good day. You're married today because you got ice cream, right? Or did you get that last night? No, that was two days ago. Two days ago? He hadn't given you more ice cream? Oh, my... What? Only cake. Only cake? No ice cream in that picture? Oh, it sure looked like ice cream to me. I don't feel so bad ice now. Cream. That was ice cream in the picture? All right. Well, if any's marrying, hey, great date. Let him sing Psalms. And you can go to Scripture and find out what Psalms are. Okay? Is any sick? Oh, wait a minute. Is any, Jill, is any afflicted now? Is any sick? You suppose it's the same word? It's not. Different word. We're gonna find out what it is and why it's distinguished here. Any sick among you? Let him call for the elders. This press, buteros, plural, the elders of the church. That those that are elder qualified or serving in the office or the the uh, position of elder. Let them pray. Let me get back on track here. Let them pray. Let them pray over him. What's the word for prayer there? Anointing him with oil. Now, that was common when they recognized an illness. Okay? Let them anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15, And the prayer of faith shall save the sick. thought all prayers were by faith, weren't they? All? I mean, what if you're not praying according to the will of God? What if you're not led to pray for the? Oh, this sickness is not... Can I say that? Yeah anybody tuned in you think i'm mean, gonna get in trouble no. get you in trouble this sickness is not unto death well the poor guy died you know someone was wrong right prayer of faith i don't know probably not um and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the lord again sick afflicted or sick well and the lord shall raise him up and if he have committed sins they shall be forgiven him okay now we've not only got affliction we've got sickness involved but we also got the suggestion of sins involved. If you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults. Oh, my word. Confess your faults. We were just told to confess sin to God. This is not confess sin. This is confess faults. It's a different word. We need to look and see why the instruction is different. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that she may be healed. Well, somebody must be sick because we've got a healing going on here. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And then there is this reference to an Old Testament illustration. Elias, Kevin, I, I always mess this up. Is this Elijah or Elisha? Do you remember? Elisha? Elijah. Elijah. Okay, this is the older guy. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly. That it, what, what does it mean to pray earnestly? I picked on you enough. Pray earnestly. We're going to find out. We'll look at it. Down here it's going to say the effectual, or have we seen that yet? The effectual, fervent prayer. We've already seen that. What does effectual mean and what is fervent? Modifies prayer. We study in prayer. Good for us to look at that. Um, he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. It rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And then he prayed again and it would rain. The heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, verse nineteen: If any of you do err from the truth, what truth? How much time I got, Kevin? You need to give me some of your time. <laughs> I'm kidding. If any of you do err from the truth, then one convert him. Convert. I wonder if these are unbelievers. We talking conversion here? Is this witness the gospel to him? Convert him. Get him saved. If any err from the truth and a certain one convert him, and by the way, it is a certain one there, let him know experientially that he which converteth, there's that word convert again, the sinner from the error of his way. Boy, give him the gospel and get him turned around, get him saved, and they will live perfect lives from here on out. Shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let's go back and look over this. is any certain one. This is not just anyone. This is a certain one among you afflicted. Now the word for afflicted there is kakopathai. And it's a present active indicative verb. And it's a compound form of kakos and pathos in verb form. It's bad, what? Suffering. The soul is not happy. Okay, Is anyone afflicted? Let him pray a worshipful prayer. This is the word for worshipful prayer. Let him direct worshipful prayer, and that's an imperative. So, the word there for afflicted, kakopassai, I think is probably a broader term. We're going to come to another word down here. Uh we've got two more analysis analyses of sick. Is anybody having a I don't mean to be irreverent, but is anybody having a bad hair day? I mean this is this is awful, and I'm grieved in my soul. We're gonna make this, we're gonna put a, a an emotional nuance on this because of some things that are going to develop here. You are really having a bad day. You're anxious, you're emotional. The pathos there is going to be all over. The analysis, the New Testament analysis of the soul. The emotional matrix in in tripartite humanity. Let him pray a prayer of worship. Is any merry? In other words, let him direct worshipful prayer to God. And what is worship? We worship God for his worth, for who he is. And he's told us what is the basis for our worship. He's revealed himself. He's self-revealing. So we know something about him so we can do it according to his will. Is any Mary? Let him sing songs. Let him respond appropriately. And this is a verb for psalming, singing psalms. Now verse 14, is any sick? Now the word for sick here is not the word for affliction up in verse 1. But it is a more general term for, <sighs> could involve sickness, could involve exhaustion, could involve being of lowly station, but it is, it, it's a broader term, and I'll give you a. I'll, we'll look at a reference here. John 4.46. Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee. John 4.46, down through the end of where the chapter breaks where he made the water wine, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Now, we can probably suspend here. This was a physical malady. This was a physical ailment. This guy needed to be healed. And in all likelihood, this nobleman's son would have died physically had there not been a remedy. The term for sick is any sick. In James chapter 5, verse 14 is the word that's used in John 4. And it has broad usage in the New Testament. Sometimes it does mean a physical ailment. Clearly sick. Sometimes it can be used to describe uh, emotional turmoil or exhaustion or weariness. Maybe he's tired, he's not sick, but he might as well be so tired. All right? Is any sick? Let him call for the elders, the presbyteros, And let them pray. And again, this is going to be a prayer of worship. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. This anointing with oil had a ceremonial significance, but it also had a medicinal implication. I I don't want to get too involved in that, but Oil played a medicinal role in in the time in which this was written. Anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Okay, so there's some medicinal remedy, but you've got saints praying for this one who is sick. And the prayer, verse 15. Now this is the word vow. In verse 15, following this instruction to gather the elders and to pray over Him according to the New Testament, according to the will of God, asking that the Lord's will be done. Now, Now it says, the vow of the faith, the one of the faith, will save the sick. And the word for save there is a the broad term that's used for deliver. It's sozo, future indicative. This kind of prayer is said that it will save the one who is... Now you've got your third word for sick. Affliction, broad term astheneo, the sick term in verse 15, um, or in 14, a term that is often used of physical malady. Now you've got your third word for sick or for not not doing well. And in verse 15, the word for sick, I believe, is a word that's got limited use and probably describes anxiety, emotional anxiety. This guy is really overwrought emotionally. It's a term that's found in, let's look at it. Man, I am running out of time. If I have to come back and finish this next week, I will. This word is, and the prayer, the the vow of faith of the faith shall save or deliver this particular sick one and the Lord shall raise him up Well I'm going to stop there because then you have some conditional constructions and we can't be fast and loose with those The vow the New Testament vow grace communication with God where you make an affirmation to God according to the will of God according to the leading of the spirit of in your life, it's the specific vow of the faith. Why is there an article with faith? Have you ever talked through this, Kevin? Yeah, I was thinking it was related to the, uh, something related to the uh, doctrine about overcoming your enemy. <laughs> well, there are two possibilities here, and there may be room for some, you could go either way on this. When you have faith, the, the common word for faith here, With an article, you have to ask yourself, is this the faith, the cohesive doctrine that very specifically and narrowly gives you the remedy for overcoming the sin nature? Is there an act of sin or is there a temptation to an act of sin? Because, and I'm going to have to suspend, but coming up here... They're going to be asked to confess their faults, one to another. And that's not sin. They're going to be asked to confess their paraptoma, their unrighteousness. Unrighteousness precedes sin. So apparently there's an issue here of unrighteousness that needs to be confessed. Why would I need to confess unrighteous thoughts to Kevin? You know my thoughts? What am I thinking right now? I mean... I had too much spaghetti at dinner, time. It was good spaghetti, but I ate too much, and I usually do an ate spaghetti. You didn't know that unless I told you, so how would you know about my unrighteous thoughts unless, oh Kevin, you remember when we were down there, and I let my skimmer leak, and I told you about a moment of weakness, and I just I was thinking about robbing the community trust savings and whatever to pay my rent or have I been talking about the sin during the unrighteous stage and maybe getting you involved because you need extra money? Probably you've got things you want to buy. I don't want to rope you into this, Scott, because you got more discipline than that and you've got your wife sitting here and she won't let you do those things. <laughs> Why would we confess unrighteous thoughts to each other? Don't be telling me what you're thinking. It's nasty. But by the way, say the same thing about it if you've already told me what it is because I may have trouble with it. What if those faults, confess your faults one to another? And this is ex homiligeo, early on in, in verse 16, confess them outwardly. Say the same thing as. What else might I need to confess to you that might not be an act of sin yet, but... Well, but I'm telling you, I just don't approve what you did. I needed to borrow that riding lawnmower, even though I've only got twenty square feet of grass, but it would have been much nicer riding your lawnmower and couldn't you bring that over to me on the back of your truck? Because I know you got a truck. Why couldn't you do that? Would have been easy enough. I'm not happy about it. Maybe. I've got some targeted unrighteousness towards him that's going to resolve in an act of sin. Well, I guess I better confess that to him. I don't, by the way, but (laughs) (laughs) confess your faults one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Verse 16. You may be cured, you may be made whole. I think there's more than one person in this text that needs relief. By the way, does anybody have any questions? Because I'm going to go right up to about three minutes till if you don't. Because Carl's not here and he's not going to shout me down. Huh? Yeah, he's probably listening to me. <laughs> um, I think probably what's in view in verse 16 is... If I've entertained unrighteous thoughts about someone, confess to them. I don't think this is a prescription for just walking in the door and confessing every nasty thought you ever had. But I best get with Kevin. (laughs) Did someone text you that? I best get with Kevin and confess the unrighteous thoughts to him that might have resolved. And I may need to tell him. I'm not going to do that. I apologize for it. It was nasty. It was unrighteous. Um, I think there's more than one person here that needs relief. I think there's an issue of unrighteousness among the brethren, and I think it probably involves a one-to-one personal, I've been planning something against this believer, or I've come in and I've just noised about, stuff out, I kept my mouth shut about. You don't need to know what nasty thoughts have gone through my head. As soon as you hear them, you've got a vivid imagination. You can begin to, if you look at the Galatians 6.1 text, if the spiritual one sees someone overtaken in a what? In a paraptoma, in unrighteousness, in an offense, not sin, hadn't become sin yet. Well, how do they know? Because they've talked about it. You that are spiritual, by the way, it's possible to know when you're spiritual. Otherwise, the you that are spiritual is just barking at the moon. Just yelling into the wind. You that are spiritual, get with them. Don't let that unrighteous climate infect other people, least of, not, least of all yourselves. Don't tell me what's going through your head. I don't want to know it. And by the way, if it's against the law, I'm calling the cops. You should, You need to know that right now. Don't tell me you killed somebody. Don't tell me you robbed a store or something, but promise not to tell because you're my good friend and you always keep my secrets. No, I don't. Don't tell me stuff I don't need to know. I think that's part of what's going on here. But I'll tell you what else I think. I think the individual, and I'll try to demonstrate this next week, the individual that needs prayer up in the earlier context, and it's going to be embellished with what we see down in in verses 19 and 20. The individual that needs prayer is absolutely emotionally wrung out. It's not sickness. It's the word uh, in verse 15. The vow of the faith. And by the way, Kevin, the faith in there, I'm not sure it couldn't be uh, the spiritual gift of faith. If someone has the gift of faith and knows this is not a sickness unto death, for example, that might be one case, and he can pray with that confidence, it will save this guy. That's a possibility, but I think Kevin's, I think, I think those two alternatives, either the faith, the body of doctrine, which gives you the remedy for the sin nature, to have victory over the sin nature, or the, the gift of faith. The prayer, the vow that exercises, recognizes and exercises the gift of faith, the spiritual gift of faith. We'll save this guy. And what is his sickness? Well, Here's what Thayer says, to grow weary, to be weary. It can also mean to be sick. But when you look at its use in the New Testament, overwhelmingly, it's limited use. It seems to be weariness from overwork, weariness faint from, from, uh, oh, from, some, from something burdensome. What is he emotionally overwrought about? I think we're going to end up circling back to this notion. His soul, his emotions are sick. Verses 19 and 20. And we're going to suspend it there. We'll come back next week. Um, I thought I could get through this. But we're going to trust the Lord that where we suspend here is going to be, it's going to be helpful. And uh, next week you pull up The additional notes that I'm going to put on the, I'm going to put on the website.